Hi, everyone. This is your 1001 Stories Network host, John Hagedorn. And I want to thank each and every one of you listeners for the support you've given 1001 Stories from the Old West. Kevin Sykes will return in the fall with a bunch of great Old West history. But during the meantime, we'll be running episodes of the old radio show, Tales of the Texas Rangers, which features actual stories from the files of the Texas Rangers from about 1936 through the late 40s. This show did very well from 1950 to 52 on NBC Radio and was successful in transitioning to TV on CBS from 1955 to 1958. I especially enjoy the episodes where they go after him on horseback. That still happens today in rough country where they need to go after fugitives on horseback, keeping America's past alive. It's time for another episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. Hope you enjoy it. The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. From the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, Blind Justice. It is 5.45 a.m., March 6, 1940. Pete Salverson, owner of a roadside cafe in West Texas, is opening for business. As he sweeps up in the kitchen, he hears a sound outside the back door. Somebody out back there? That you, Charlie? Well, what's the matter, boy? Where'd you come from? Come on, feller. Come on, I ain't gonna hurt you. <laughs> a boy. Looks like you got here too early to root for anything out of that garbage can, though. And them ribs of yours look like you could use some grub fast. Hey, 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 now, 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 none of that face licking. You just come on inside and I'll fix you up. Come on. Come on. Let's see. How about this? That is bone and a couple of hunks of stew meat, huh? All right, fella. There you are. Dig into that. Oh, boy, you sure are beat up and hungry. What's this contraption you got strapped on you? Uh, Pete, you open yet? Oh, oh, howdy, Sheriff. How's the coffee situation? Well, it ain't brewed yet, but I can fix some up in a minute. Had an early customer here. <laughs> yeah, but he hasn't got any money. I'm a cash customer. <laughs> now, where'd you get him? Oh, he's rooting in the garbage cans out back. What you doing up around so early? Oh, I just came back from Huntsville. Delivered a prisoner up there yesterday. Huh? Hey, that'd be a pretty good-looking dog if he was taken care of. Who owns him? I don't know. Never seen him before. Never did see a leash like the one he's wearing, either. Kind of funny contraption. Look at it. Hey, well, let's see that. What's the matter, Sheriff? Why, this ain't a leash. It's a harness. Huh? This here dog's a C&I dog. One of them dogs is trained to lead blind people? Sure is. He must have run off from his master, then. Well, these dogs don't run off, Pete. I had a missing person's bulletin on a blind man three days ago. This might be his dog. Well, the guy that's missing must be around here, then, huh? Well, if he is, something must have happened to him. This dog never would have left him. Say, you got change for a dollar in the register? Oh, sure thing. I'm going to hit that phone and get a ranger down here to help. Wherever that dog's master is, I got a hunch we'd better find him quick. Less than one hour after the sheriff's appeal for help, Texas Ranger Jace Pearson joined him at Pete Salveson's roadside cafe. <laughs> There he is, Ranger. No mistake in that harness if you ever seen one before. It's a C&I dog, all right. You say you found him outside this morning, Salverson? Yeah, half-starved, like you can see. Been a good three or four days since he's eaten from the looks of him. Easy, boy. Come here. Nobody's gonna hurt you. Oh, I'm sorry, fella. 
It's really sore, isn't it? He's had a bad time, Sheriff. Got a pretty hard clip on the head. Must have been knocked out. Since then, he's traveled through some rough country. And late has got him all sliced up. Footpads are sore from walking. Yeah, but ever since Pete fed him, he's been yelling to get out of here. Reckon he'll be able to lead us back to his master? He'll try if he can make it. We'll have a better chance if a veterinarian works him over first. Where's the nearest one? Uh, foreman at the Wolverine Ranch is a vet. Want to take him out there? Yeah. Meanwhile, you better get yourself a horse. I'll leave my horse trailer here until I get back. You can load your mount in with my horse, Charcoal. It's a double trailer. What makes you think we'll need horses? In a country this dog came through isn't the kind we'll be able to get through in a car. And he came too far for us to follow on foot. Lost dogs sometimes head for home, Jace. Missing persons bulletin came from Ozona in Crockett County. Dog may be headed for there. Only way we'll find out is to follow him. If he heads any other way, it'll be back toward the man he's been trained to take care of. I'm figuring that'll be in a southerly direction from here. Well, how do you know that? All barren country that way, full of lechuguilla. If he came such a long way from any other direction, he'd have run into a town or a ranch and been found before this. I reckon I'll buy that. That makes sense. Get your horse. I'll meet you back here, and we'll drive as far south as we can cross country and then turn this dog loose and follow him. I got the dog patched up at the Wolverine Ranch, picked up the sheriff and his horse, and headed south into the Badlands. We switched from car to our horses and turned the dog loose. He circled around for a moment, got his bearings, and then, despite the soreness of his body, started into a limping run. He's heading south, all right, Jace. Must be going to his master. Beats me why he went all the way to Peach Place, though. He had to go someplace for help. But the only thought he gave to himself was just stopping long enough to be fed before he headed back here. How far do you reckon we'll have to go? Well, we came 14 miles by car before the dirt road petered out. He came a lot farther than that. Might have taken him a couple of days. Well, we'll have to stop him at night. If he keeps going that long and tie him off. We better make sure we can catch him poor dark so he don't get away from us altogether. Uh, chances are he'll wait for us. After all, we're the help he came after. If he doesn't, we'll be able to follow him anyhow. In the dark? Yeah. I treated his collar with some phosphorus paint. Hey, whatever made you think of that? Uh, trick my father taught me a long time ago. He had an old hound dog, great hunter. Got a throat injury and couldn't sound off. Glowing collar made up for it. Well, like they say, we live and learn. Hey, look. Look where the dog's cutting, up in the foothills. Yeah. That's Ambush Canyon that way, isn't it? Sure is. See, no wonder that dog's so beat up. I wouldn't tackle this country in an army tank if I didn't have to. I wonder if that blind fellow would be alive when we find him. I don't think so, Sheriff. If he was alive, I don't think the dog would ever have left him. Come on, Charlie. What kept that dog going, I'll never know. We hit stretches where we had to lead the horses on foot. It was toward sundown of the second day when the dog caved in. He made a feeble attempt to inch along on his stomach and then just rolled over on his side, panting. He's done for, Jace. Can't even take water. I, I better... No, Sheriff. Put your gun away. But, Jace, he couldn't move another inch if he wanted to. I'll carry him with me on charcoal. Man would be mighty lucky if he could find a human being that'd go this far for him. Uh, he'd never have led us this far back if you hadn't had the vet work on him. Well, what do we do now? Keep on going, I guess. If his master is in here, he must have left some trail. We'll keep cutting through till we find marks. Jace, now how would a blind man get into this country and why? I don't know. But if he wasn't here, the dog wouldn't have been here either. We better move on till we find a good spot to make camp. These horses need some attention and a night of rest, too. Meantime, maybe I can do a little doctrine on the dog. Won't do any good, Jace. All you'll need is a pack shovel. He just stopped breathing. He's dead. The next morning, we started trail cutting, working steadily to the south, toward the international border, the Rio Grande. Yeah, the country's getting a mite better now, Jace, but we're only about a half a mile from the river. If anybody else had been in here recently, we'd have seen some sign of a trail. Nobody could come through here without leaving some kind of tracks. That dog didn't head this way for nothing, Sheriff. He must have... Hey, hold it a second. Huh? What is it? Look at this. Dog hair caught in this thorn brush. Yeah. Must have been a few days ago when the dog headed out. Look at the color. German Shepherd, all right. We're still on the right trail, then. But 
Why no human tracks? Well, the dog came out of here on foot. But this may not be the way he and his master got in here originally. What other way is there? On the river, in a raft, or a flat-bottom boat? Well, how could a blind man navigate the river? He didn't have to be alone, Sheriff. That dog was beaten on the head, remember? It isn't likely his master did that, is it? No, I see what you mean, but how... Now, would... Wait a minute. Look up ahead there, along the side of the ridge, about a quarter of a mile. Yeah, looks like part of the rock and the earth have been scooped out. Mm. Must have been a little landslide. Not on a rock facing as solid as that looks. What do you suppose it is, then? Let's find out. It took us more than an hour to reach the base of the ridge and find the answer. It wasn't a landslide. There were a couple of dynamite caps on the ground. The fresh earth had been blown out. Uh, two men, all right, Jace. Signs of tracks held tight in this fresh earth. Dog tracks go right along with the one set. That was the blind man. Yeah, another mark running in with those tracks, though. Little round hole in the ground every few steps. Uh, blind man must have had a cane, too. Move around the wide circle and cut back to this spot until... Oh, wait, Jace. Huh? What's that thing over there by the brush? Long white piece or something. A white cane. Come on. A head of its stain, Jace. Looks like blood. Yeah, it is. Dog must have been clubbed with that. Uh, Bloodstains didn't come from the dog, Sheriff. Lump he had on his head didn't bleed. Let's beat through this brush. Blood trail on the ground through here, Jace. Yeah. That path just ahead seems to be pressed down in one spot. Let's make for it. A man's body, all right. Face down. Better roll him over and see if it's a blind man. It's him, all right. You can tell by his right hand. Callous ridge there from holding onto that dog harness. I took the white cane and the dynamite caps and rode along the shore of the river to the nearest town. Called Austin to fly a lab man down and arrange for a boat to pick up the sheriff and the body. I was in the local constable's office 24 hours later when the body was brought into town. Well, body's over at the undertaker, Jace. Good. Constable told me you were in here looking over a report from your lab man. Yeah. No lead on the dynamite caps, but we learned plenty from the cane. Two sets of prints, one unidentified. Must have been the blind man's. Now what about the other set? man who left the other set had a criminal record. Name was James Waterman. Got out of Huntsville six years ago. Waterman? Say, I, I remember that name. You ought to remember it. He pulled ten years for armed robbery. $40,000 payroll stick-up back in 24. Money never was recovered. I wonder why he killed that blind man. And why was he blasting in the face of that rock ridge? Something we'll ask him when we get him. Oh, was the lab man at the funeral home when you brought the body in? Yeah, he's going over it now. Want to get some grub while you're waiting for him to finish? Yeah. He'll take prints off the body to compare with the ones he lifted from the cane. He'll have identification established by the time we get through. Good. Let's go. I'll be glad to eat something I haven't had to cook myself. Mm -hmm. Well, funny thing. We started off so fast after that dog turned up the other day, I never did check that missing persons bulletin for the blind man's name. His name was Joseph Wilson. Lived in a rooming house in Ozona. Operated a newsstand. Landlady reported him missing when she didn't see him or the dog for two days. Now, there's a cafe across the street. Good. We took our time. A statewide pickup was out for James Waterman, and it seemed just a matter of pinning him down. But when we got finished and walked over to the funeral home, the case wasn't so simple. Our lab man, Marty Ferris, was just finishing a phone conversation. No, I said there's no doubt about it. Yeah, check on it. Pearson just walked in. I'll tell him. Right. Bye. Howdy, Jason. Howdy, Marty. Marty Ferris, Sheriff Ritchie. Sure, now, we met I... when the sheriff came in with the body. And, Jace, we got trouble. This thing is blown wide open. Why? What's the matter? That's the prints. And take a look at them. Now, here's a copy of the unidentified set I sent on to Austin. The man who made them has no record. Well, why should he have a record? Aren't they the blind man's prints? Uh, no, they aren't, Jace. The prints on the body match the known prints pulled from the cane. The dead man is James Waterman. What? <laughs> That's it, Sheriff. Here, look at the prints. See for yourself. Marty, could you have made a mistake? No, Jace. I just checked with Austin on the phone by classification number. Waterman must have been blinded sometime after he left Huntsville. He took the name of Wilson as an alias. Uh, now all we've got is a set of unidentified prints that might match anybody in the state. Sheriff, our killer isn't going to be easy to find. You 
You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, Blind Justice, an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. Whoever the blind man's companion had been, there had to be a starting point for their journey along the river, a place where they'd picked up a boat or a raft. The sheriff and I worked our way along the river above the town, questioning the occasional Mexicans who managed somehow to make a living where no living was to be made. And in one spot, less than a mile from the road, we found something. You can see it clearly now, Jace. Yeah. Impression of a flat-bottomed boat on that mud flat. Had to be dragged quite a ways to the water. Not many days ago, either. Oh, oh, boy. Mud around where the boat was is caked dry. Spot where the boat was setting still looks damp. Uh-huh. Boat must have been there without being used for quite some time. River's been way down for more than a year. A little smoke coming up from behind those trees. Must be a Mexican hut. Whoever's there might own the boat. Let's ask him. Get up, Charlie. Oh, Come boy. Mmm, tacos cooking. Smell him? Yeah. Smell something else, too. Chicken frying. There's a place. I can see it now. Yeah, pretty high class for river hut. Looking back, chicken coop. Kind of new, too. Coop wire, I mean. Hasn't been up very long. Yeah, a woman out in front of the place. Well, she sees us. Buenos dias, senora. Oh, buenos dias, senora. Oh, Charlie. Oh, boy. Maybe you can help us out, senora. We'd like some information about a boat that was out on that mud flat until a few days ago. I never see a boat there, senor. You never saw one there? Well, what made that impression in the mud, then? I, I called my husband. He speaks better English. Hmm. They know something about that boat, all right, Jase. Yeah. My husband... Chico. You want something, senor? They want to know... There's a mark left by a boat down in that mud flat. When was the boat there last? And what happened to it? Uh, it was maybe a week ago. The boat disappeared in the night. One morning, she's gone. That's all I know. Who took it? We don't know. Just like that, huh? She, she, just gone. Don't try to feed us a story like that. You... Uh, just a second, Sheriff. Where do you work, Danielle? What do you do for a living? Well, uh, I do anything for whoever give me the work. But for a long time, nobody give me any. You must have saved a lot of money to be eating fried chicken and tacos. Where'd you get those chickens? I, I raised them, senor. Yeah, without hens and a rooster? There isn't anything in that coop old enough to sit a nest. And that coop wire's new. Well, what I mean to say, I, I was just starting to raise them. Where'd you get the money to buy that coop wire and the chicks? You better talk up. This is part of a murder investigation. Murder? Blind man was murdered downriver. He got there by boat. Oh, you... Senor, I, I got nothing to do with murder. I just sell the boat. Why didn't you say so before? Well, because the boat was not mine. But you sold it just the same. Say, say, look, I tell you the truth. The boat is there for two years. Ever since we come here, I never know who owns it. And then one day, the... The men come. Uh, two men? See, si, see. Si. One of them blind? See, si, see. Si. He got a dog and a white stick. He, the other man with him, he said to me, I give you $50 for the boat. Well, uh, I don't say that the boat is mine. I, I just let him give me $50. What the man look like? The one who could see? Oh, he's big, just like you, with the light hair, very wavy, eyes uh, blue. He said that when they come back, I can have the boat back for nada, uh, nothing. And he gave me more money if I don't tell nobody. I say, uh, you give me more now, huh? But he said he don't have no more until he come back. That's the whole truth, senor, just like Daniel tell you. All right. If it isn't the truth, we'll find out. Come on, Sheriff. Let's go. All right. Uh, you two stay right around here in case we want to see you again. Oh, we'll shit, we, we'll be here. We don't run away. Up, boy. Hey. Uh, heading back for the town? Yeah. Marty may have some more information. And I think we just got a lead from Danielle on why Waterman and the other man went downriver. Well, if you did, you got something I missed. They promised Danielle more money when they came back. The money Waterman got in that stick-up 16 years ago never was recovered, remember? Oh, oh, I get it. That's why they dynamited into that rock ridge. Waterman must have hidden that money until it cooled off. That's right. But before he ever got back to it, he was caught and sent to Huntsville for 10 years. Why didn't he go for it as soon as he got out six years ago? That's one of the things we still don't know. 
Maybe Marty will have the answers when we get back to town. Marty had the answers, all right. Reports from Austin that had come in while we were on the river. I made notes on everything, Chase, if you can read my writing. Thanks. That checkback shows that Waterman lost his sight three days after he left Huntsville six years ago. It's hard to run down because he didn't have to report to anybody. He'd served his full term, no parole. I see. Happened in a highway accident, huh? Yeah, I caught a lift on a gasoline truck. Went over an embankment and caught fire. The driver was killed, Waterman blinded. Near Sonora. That means Waterman was headed this way from the pen. He was going straight for that money, Sheriff. But losing his sight stopped him. But why did it take him six years to move for it again? He had to find somebody to help him. A man with a load of stolen money hidden away doesn't trust many people. He finally trusted somebody. Hmm. And got killed for it. I'm going to take a ride to Ozona. It's out of your county, Sheriff, but it's your case. You want to come along? You bet I want to come along. Let's go. In Ozona, we went to the rooming house where Waterman had lived under the name of Joseph Wilson. The landlady showed us to his room. It hadn't been rented to anybody else, and his things were still there. A few books in Braille, clothing, an extra harness for the dog. Everything is just like he left it, just like it was when the police come after I called them. I haven't touched a thing. No money, nothing valuable was left here, only what you see. It's all right, ma'am. Don't be upset. Nobody accused you of taking anything. I just want you to know there wasn't nothing to take. He never had nothing. Always a couple of weeks behind in his rent. Not that I minded. I had nothing but sympathy for the poor man. Even fed his dog for him or never would have been fed. Look, something you just said is important to me. Now, if he owes you money, there's nobody to pay it, so you're, you're just going to lose it. The truth can't hurt you one way or the other. Did he really owe you rent money? Why, yes. Why else would I say it? Every once in a while, he'd catch up. He got some kind of benefit checks from someplace once in a while. What's your angle there, Jake? I'm just figuring, Sheriff. Daniel got $50 for that boat he sold. There must have been more expenses getting from here down there. Somebody had to finance it. His traveling companion, whoever it was. Yeah. It's a cinch it was somebody Waterman met and got to know right here in Ozona. Ma'am, did Mr. Waterman, uh, Mr. Wilson have any visitors here? Any friends? I never saw a soul. There was some fellow called him a few times, though, and he was homesick and couldn't work at the newsstand. You know who it was? No, he never gave me his name. Mr. Wilson just said it was somebody he knew from the stand. The same fellow each time? As far as I could tell from the voice. I see. Thanks. Come on, Sheriff. Was that all you want here? Yeah, thanks. We located the place where Waterman had had his newsstand, a main intersection near a bank, a restaurant, an office building, and a medical and professional building. Somebody else was running the stand now. We staked out in my car across the street. Looking for somebody fitting the description Danielle gave us? That's right. Man who called whenever Waterman was sick might have been a regular customer. There could be quite a few customers fitting that description, Jase. We'll tag the ones who come close. See if the newsie or anybody around has any information on him. Somebody might have noticed the man we're looking for hanging around the stand from time to time. If he knew Waterman well enough to call his rooming house, he knew him well enough to stop for a talk. You're right, of course, but this kind of waiting wears me out. It's the dullest part of the job, Sheriff, but sometimes it's the part that pays off. For two days, we watched the corner. Occasionally, we followed a man who fitted the description supplied by Danielle, but each time we checked, the subject turned out to be somebody who hadn't been out of town. Then, just before the end of our second day of watching, I nudged the sheriff. What is it, Jase? Over there. No, past the newsstand. Just going into the medical and professional building. Oh, yeah. He looks like he might be the boy, all right. His hair is really light and curly, which most of the others haven't been. Let's see where he went. Oh, oh, wait a minute. He's still in the lobby. There by the elevator. Let's wait until he's picked up. There's the elevator now. Well, there it goes. He's the only passenger. Come on. Watch the floor marker. See where the elevator stops. Third floor, Jase. Yeah, let's take a look at the building directory on the wall. 
Third floor, two doctors, a dentist, an attorney, and a chiropodist. Go up to that floor. Try them all. You want me to grab him? No. If you spot him in a waiting room, just sit down like you're waiting too. After he leaves, find out anything you can about him. I'll wait back in the car and tag him after he comes out. How do we get together again? After I find out where he lives, I'll come back and pick you up on the corner. I waited for the man with the light curly hair. He came out of the building in 20 minutes. I started my car away from the curb slowly, keeping him in sight. He turned the corner and got into a car of his own, drove to an apartment building. I noted the address and then went back and met the sheriff. I hope you didn't lose him, Jace. I think he's the one we want. Why? What'd you get? He was in to see a doctor. Had a dressing on his arm changed. Doc said he's a regular patient who's been away on vacation. Mm, been out of town, huh? Yeah, but that isn't all. It's what he's being treated for that ought to make you sit up. Dog bite. Dog bite? <laughs> I thought that shepherd might have gotten to the killer just once before he was knocked out. Let's go visit him. I know the apartment building he lives in. You get his name from the doc? J.B. Rowland works on the local newspaper. Reporter? No, has charge of distribution and circulation. Also takes care of the morgue, uh, back issue files. Oh, that'd put him in touch with Waterman on the circulation end. And his taking care of the back issues might fit, too. That might have told him who Waterman really was. Hey, that's right. Fishing through some old back issues, he might have read about the robbery and Waterman's conviction. Maybe seen a picture of Waterman and recognized it. That'd make him get friendly. He'd know the money was never recovered and that Waterman didn't have it on hand or he wouldn't be running a newsstand and living like he did. You think he told Waterman what he knew and finally talked him into a deal? Or do you think maybe forced him into it? When we see him, we'll ask him. There's the door, Jace. Apartment 2B. Gonna knock? Yeah. Yeah? Who is it? Special delivery. I'm not dressed. You better slip it under the door. You got a sign for it. Oh? Okay. Oh, you got a pencil. All right, Roland. Open it all the way. I'll open it. I'll open your skull. Right, watch him, Jay. Stay away from that desk. You're not taking me. Give me that gun. Oh, my, oh, my, my arm. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Same arm Waterman's dog chewed on, huh? I, I don't know what you're talking about. No. Just the same you went right for a gun. Brand new gun at that. Like you were expecting you might have trouble. Come on, get up. Why'd you kill him? You want all the money instead of a split? Money. <laughs> money. Yeah, where's the money? What'd you do with it? What did I do with it? I worked on him for months until he trusted me. Then we went down to the river, but we couldn't find the place. Couldn't remember all the landmarks. He couldn't see, and after 16 years, he couldn't remember couldn't remember. I went crazy. I planned on it so much, I went crazy. That's all. If I had the money, I, I could have gotten away. Without the money, I had to come back here so they wouldn't be looking for me. All right, Roland. <laughs> Go get some clothes on. <laughs> Looks like that 40000 is really gone for keeps, Chase. Yeah. Buried in a rock ridge somewhere near the Rio Grande. That's money that never bought anybody anything. I feel sorry for that dog, Jace, breaking his heart and dying like he did. Funny thing about a dog, a dog never passes judgment. He just sticks right to the finish, whether you're good or bad, worth it or not. I'll help Roland get a jacket on, then we can take him in. For the murder of James Waterman, alias Joseph Wilson, J.B. Rowland was convicted and sentenced to Huntsville Penitentiary for a period of 99 years. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Frenchie. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Peggy Weber, Herb Bygren, Ed Begley, Earl Keane, Tom Holland, and Tom McKee. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking.
Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Tomorrow night, NBC will present Parallel 38, a dramatization of the work of the Red Cross during the current crisis with Raymond Massey in the starring role. Brigadier General David Sarnoff will explain the needs of the Red Cross during the 1951 fund campaign. So listen tomorrow to Parallel 38 and let your heart guide your hand when you give to the Red Cross. The Telephone Hour welcomes UC Beerling tomorrow on NBC. The National Broadcasting Company presents Joel McRae in Tales of the Texas Rangers. Tonight, transcribed from Hollywood, another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Texas, more than 260,000 square miles. And 50 men who make up the most famous and oldest law enforcement body in North America. From the files of the Texas Rangers come these stories based on fact. Only names, dates, and places are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Case for tonight, death by adoption. It is 9.45 p.m. on a Saturday night, September 1937. The business district of Central City, Texas is dark, except for the office of Harry Cashman's used car lot. Cashman is pacing the small office in agitation. A man in a leather windbreaker crosses the lot, slipping between the cars for sale and knocks at the door. Well, howdy, Mr. Cashman. Uh. Glad to see you waited for me. All right, spit it out. What do you want this time? I'm kind of short on folding money. Thought you might be a pal and help me out again. You know what this is, don't you, Stryker? The Lord called it a shakedown. I gave you $100 two weeks ago and another 100 the month before. So I need more. Well, you're not getting more, not from me. Why, well, that's too bad. I'm sorry you feel that way, Mr. Cashman. I kind of thought you were a nice guy. Oh. kind of guy I'd like to see raise my baby long as I can't raise her myself. Now, you leave the baby out of this. Now, you can't expect me to forget about her, Mr. Cashman. After all, she's my own flesh and blood. She belongs to me and my wife, legally, by adoption. Yeah, but you keep forgetting one important thing. I never signed no papers letting you adopt her. Your wife said you were dead. She thought I was dead. But my being here proves I ain't. And if we ever have to take this into court, Mr. Cashman, I'm baby Ann's natural father. I got my rights, you know. All right, how much? Reckon a hundred will see me through again. I'll give you five hundred. Why, it's better. Now, just a minute. I'll give you five hundred if you sign a paper waiving all rights to baby Ann. I ain't signing nothing. I like our arrangement just the way it is. It's working out fine. If you think... Well, go ahead, Mr. Cashman. Answer. Maybe business, and I'd like to see you do a good business. For the baby's sake, you understand? Hello. Harry, why aren't you home? It's almost 10 o'clock. Oh, I'll be home in a little while, Hazel. Uh, something came up. You sound worried. Is anything wrong? No, 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 no. Of course not. The baby wanted to wait up for you. I let her stay up till 8.30, but by then she just kept rubbing her eyes and her nose and saying, where's my daddy, till she couldn't hold her little head up. Well, I, I'm sorry, Hazel. Uh, give her a kiss for me. I, I'll be home in a little while. Harry, are you sure there's nothing wrong? You sound like you're upset about something. Oh, it's it's nothing. I'm just tired. I'll see you in half an hour. Well, all right, dear. Goodbye. Goodbye, honey. That your wife? Yes. Never did meet her. Maybe we ought to all get together, have a little talk. Huh? Stryker, if you try that, it's the last talk you'll ever have. What are you trying to do? Your baby's got a home, a good home, and we love her. We've been married 15 years, never had a child of our own. And now we've got her, and she's ours. Why, if we ever lost her, 
We'd have nothing to live for. Haven't you got a heart? Well, I can see I made a big mistake, Mr. Cashman. I should have started seeing you a lot sooner and a lot oftener. Now, what do you mean by that? That from now on, I'll be around every Saturday night to pick up my hundred dollars. And I'll take tonight's payment right now. Why, Don't you... be a fool, Mr. Cashman. I'm younger and a lot stronger than you. Now, don't get yourself hurt. Now, how about my money? All right, Striker. There's your hundred. And it's the last you're getting. Now, get out of my sight and don't ever come back. Because if you do, I'll go to the police. I'll spend every dollar I've got fighting you. I'll prove what you are. I'll prove you're not fit to have custody of Anne. Mr. Cashman, I do believe you mean that. Eh? I swear before heaven I mean it. So this is your parting gift to me, eh? Not much considering the size of the role you peeled it off, huh? All right. All right, I'll leave you alone. I'll take my payment in full right now. Dig that roll out again. Toss on the desk. I see. Now it's a gun, huh? You see it, and I know how to use it. How could Anne have a father like you? She couldn't have, not you. You've never proved you are her father. <laughs> You're getting real bright tonight, Mr. Cashman. I get the money up on the desk. I'm not going to give you another dime, Striker. All I'm going to give you is what you deserve. Get away from that phone. I'm going to call the police. You ain't calling anybody. Maybe I'm stronger than you think. Yeah, but you ain't stronger than Oh. Now, give me that money. Maybe you should have been fighting your way. You see, you're still the only one who knows about me, and you ain't never going to tell anyone else. Thanks for the final payment. At 11 o'clock, after three more calls to her husband's used car lot, Hazel Cashman was disturbed by the busy signal and her husband's failure to come home. A phone company check showed the line was not in use. Hazel Cashman called the police. They found Harry Cashman's body and requested aid from the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned. He arrived at the lot shortly after 2 a.m. There's all the information I can give you, man. Oh, uh, howdy, Ranger. You must be Jace Pearson. That's right. You in charge here? Yeah. The Dan Simmons, chief of police. Uh, fellas, I'll talk to you later. All right. I see you've already lifted some fingerprints. Huh? How'd you know? Oh, dusting powder on the glass top here. Uh, yeah, the crew just left. Ah, prints aren't going to be much good, though, I'm afraid. Too many people coming in and out of a place like this, signing papers on that desk. What's that over there, Chief? What? Oh, that yellow spot on the carpet? Yeah. I noticed that before. Seems to be a piece of chalk that was stepped on. A few little pieces not quite ground in. I don't see a blackboard or anything around here. Any of the for sale signs on the cars marked with chalk? No, no. They're all marked with cardboard cutouts. Well, the floor is pretty clean otherwise. Waste paper basket's empty. Yeah. This place was swept out after the day's business. That chalk got ground into the rug last night after the place was cleaned. Yeah, I can see that now. And the phone hanging off the hook like that when you got here? Uh-huh. Cashman struggled with whoever killed him. Must have been trying to make a call. Oh, I don't know, Jace. Body's just where we found it. Good eight feet from the phone. Yeah, he might have staggered over there and fell, but the fight started right here by the desk and the phone. Uh, got some reason for being so sure then? The desk was moved a little in the fight, Chief. Look at the carpet. Deep worn spot where the desk usually rested. Carpets bunched up around the base, showing the desk was pushed, not lifted, and moved for any reason. Ah, you're right. I can't see that it helps us any, though. Gives us a little picture of the action, that's all. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get some of this yellow chalk in an envelope. Uh, you're going to send that to your lab at Austin? That's right. They can analyze it. Maybe come up with something. That's worth a shot. Doesn't seem to be much anything else to help us, though. Robbery motive for murder is usually the toughest one to crack. Did Cashman make a habit of carrying a lot of money? Yeah, had to in this business. People selling cars in a hurry need a fast dollar, and he usually had a couple of thousand on them. All we found in his pocket was 86 cents and change. Uh, you finished here? Yeah. I'd like you to put a man to work on that filing cabinet, get a record of all sales. We've already checked that. Every car Cashman has accounted for. Nothing's been stolen from the lot. I wasn't thinking of a stolen car. I just want a list of recent customers. Oh. Somebody might have bought an automobile he wasn't happy with and come back to get even. Uh, could be, but I'm afraid that's a blind alley too, Ranger. 
Cashman gave a mighty good guarantee on everything he sold, and he stood behind it. A hundred percent. Just the same, let's check it. I want to examine every reason he might have been killed. A hundred percent. I sent the ground yellow chalk through to Austin. There was nothing that could be done that night, but the next morning, Chief Simmons and I went to see Hazel Cashman, the dead man's wife. <laughs> we don't like to ask you questions at a time like this, Mrs. Cashman, but... I... I understand, and I want to help you if I can. Probably isn't much you can tell us, but any little thing might help. Your husband ever have trouble with anybody? No. Aside from the money he carried, do you know of any reason why anybody might have been out to get him? No, there was never anybody who didn't like Harry. What am I going to tell the baby? How am I ever going to make her understand that her daddy won't ever come home again? Would, would you answer that for me, please? I... I don't want to talk to anybody now. Why, sure, ma'am. Maybe for us, anyhow. Had to leave this number at headquarters. Hello? Yes, Simmons speaking. Go ahead, I'll write it down. We, we were going on a picnic today. Last night, I made the sandwiches and everything. We, we were going to leave right after church. I knew something was wrong when he didn't come home. I knew it. Take it easy, ma'am. All week long, Harriet was teaching Ann how to say picnic. She was just learning to pronounce it. No. You've got to get a grip, ma'am, for your baby's sake. Yes. Yes, I know. All right. Thanks. We'll be in soon. I better get back to headquarters, Chase. Uh, unless you have something else to ask Mrs. Cashman. No. You shouldn't be alone, though, ma'am. Especially when your baby wakes up. I called a neighbor just before you came. She'll be here in a few minutes. That's good. Goodbye, ma'am, and thank you. Goodbye, Mrs. Cashman. Goodbye. Find out who killed my husband. He never hurt anybody. Never. We'll do our best, ma'am. That's the rush back to headquarters, Simmons. One of my boys pulled in a suspect, Jason. Oh? Fellow who worked for Cashman, a cleaning man named Moe Smith. What have they got on him? Well, he cleaned the office last night about 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Cashman usually closed before then on Saturday nights, but Smith admits Cashman was still there when he cleaned up. Well, he's not trying to hide anything there. No, no, but there's something else. Moe Smith was on the town last night, threw a big party and threw a lot of money around. Still had a few hundred on him when he was picked up. And uh, my man checked on that, Jace. Smith is usually dirt poor. I see. He's going to be worth talking to. You can say that again. I'd have told you inside the house, but I didn't want to say anything in front of Mrs. Cashman. That was best. How old is their baby? Just two years old, Jace. Why? You look kind of funny. How old are the Cashmans? Well, I'd say Harry was about 55. Guess Mrs. Cashman must be in her 40s. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, the baby's an adopted child. I thought they were a little bit old to have a child of that age. Yeah, they never had any of their own. A couple of years ago, they took in a poor girl who'd lost her husband. Anne was her child. Cashman's took to the kid right off. Then the mother got sick, and when she knew she was dying, she agreed to let the Cashmans adopt the baby. No kid ever got a better break, believe me. I gathered they were pretty crazy about her. Plenty crazy. Why, if that kid even sneezed, Harry Cashman would be ready to charter a plane and fly at a Mayo clinic. They wrapped their lives around her, just like she was their own. When you feel that way about a kid, it is your own. Loving them is what makes them belong to you. Yeah, you can say that again. Say, any messages from my headquarters in that phone call you took? Oh, Jace, I forgot. I was too hot about my man picking up Moe Smith. Your lab phoned in a report on that chalk. Any lead? Well, I don't know under the circumstances, but it wasn't an ordinary piece of chalk. Analysis showed that it's a special type that surveyors use for marking. Surveyors, huh? Yeah. Isn't likely that a janitor would be carrying the kind of chalk used by surveyors. Oh, it might have come from any place, Jace. Customer might have dropped it. It was dropped and stepped on after the office had been cleaned. Maybe our case against Moe Smith isn't going to be as strong as it looks. You are listening to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. We continue now with tonight's case, Death by Adoption, an authentic story from the files of the Texas Rangers. At the city jail, Moe Smith was being held in an anteroom. The day was cool, but beads of sweat stood out on his forehead. If he was innocent, he didn't look it. 
I began to forget about the surveyor's chalk. Come on, Mose. Where were you last night? I was at a party, Mr. Simmons, at my own house. And where were you before the party? I was working for Mr. Harry Cashman at the used car lot. Everybody knows I work there. What time did the party start, Mose? Uh, after 10 o'clock, sir. And later we left my house and went a few other places. With you paying all the bills? Well, well, is that right or isn't it? That's right, sir. I don't remember much about it. Next thing I knew was this morning and a policeman woke me up and brought me down here. What time was it when you left the car lot last night? Oh, I worked almost 9 o'clock, sir, cleaning up like I always do. Was Mr. Cashman all right when you left the lot? No, sir, he wasn't. Mr. Harry was always mighty nice to me, but somebody called him on the telephone. He didn't say much to whoever it was. Then he slammed the phone down real mad and he hollered at me to hurry up and finish. He ain't never done that before, sir. Then when I got done and was ready to leave, he told me he's sorry he yelled at me like that. What'd you do then? I, I did some shopping for the party. Got some food, a couple of jugs of sweet Lucy. Where'd you get the money? Spill it, Mose. Cashman was robbed and you had almost $300 on you this morning when you were picked up. It was my own money, sir, honest. You never got that kind of money working on a used car lot. Three days ago, you were broke. You borrowed $2 from your landlady. You better count for that money, Mose. Where'd you get it? Well, from the numbers. Numbers? You mean you've been gambling on the numbers racket? Yes, sir. And yesterday, my number hit. 424. I got my $500. That's how come I got money. You expect us to swallow that? Who paid you off, Mose? I don't know, sir. I don't know who he was. Are you trying to tell us you gambled on numbers without knowing who you gave your bets to? Please, sir. If I tell you who it is, Mr. Simmons is going to arrest him. And everybody will know I told. And if I don't find out, you're going to stand trial for murder. Everybody will know that, too. Oh, no, sir. Please. I never hurt Mr. Harry. Oh, I got the money from Jonas. One of the pen boys at the bowling alley. Jonas been booking numbers on the side? No, sir. He just worked for somebody for a little cut. All right, Mose. We'll check on your story. And it better be true. I told the truth everywhere. Well, he sounded on the level, Jace. And if he is, I'll be able to smash a hole in the numbers racket. Yeah, you can do that, all right. But we'll still be shy of murderer. Simmons staked out the bowling alley where Jonas worked as a pin setter. Moe Smith had told the truth, all right. The pin boy confirmed it when he was arrested for possession of slips made out by betters playing the numbers. We were back to a single clue again, the yellow chalk. We've checked the only surveying crew in the city, Jace. Every man working on it had an alibi. All surveyors aren't in the city. That killer could have come from any place in the county. No road building projects underway, and only other surveying crew we've been able to trace is the mapping crew down in the big bend. Not going to be easy to get to. I'll get to him. Wherever this car won't take me, the horse and the trailer I'm towing will. Huh? You leaving right away? As soon as I can drop you at your headquarters. I drove to the big bend to where the roads ran out, and I had to cut cross-country to reach the mapping crew. I unloaded charcoal from the trailer. The crew was deep in wild country, almost a full day's ride before I reached him. All right, Charky. Easy, boy, easy. Anybody here? Hello, over this way. Come on, Charky. Well, howdy, Ranger. Howdy. Saw marks of a camp here, but it looked deserted. Well, it is. We moved in another couple of miles. I just come back with the birds to haul the last of our stuff onto the new camp. I was just tying a pack on this last one. You the crew foreman? Yeah. I'll ride on away with you. Keep you from getting lonesome. Glad to have you. I got company, though. One of my men just went on ahead a few minutes ago. We'll catch up to him on the way. Hey, you want me to take one of those lead ropes? No, they're good birds. They won't give me no trouble. All right, let's go. Up, Chuck. Up, boy. Come on, you long-eared scavengers. You've had enough grazing. You must be covering a lot of ground in here. Oh, plenty. In a sprawling country like this, ranchers lose sight of their boundaries when the land ain't fenced off. Hey, you, uh, after somebody in here, Ranger? Maybe. How long you fellas been working through here? Oh, been almost two months now. You ever pull out to go into town? Well, we got horses, of course, but it's a long ride to a road and transportation any place of any size. <laughs> I just decided to grow me some whiskers and stay here till the job's done. Any of your men ride out? Oh, yeah. A few of them go out weekends to Central City or someplace like that for Saturday night. 
Then they got to turn around and spend all day Sunday coming back. Family men usually stay and just keep on working, pile up overtime. How many men you got working? Oh, I got 11. Any of them away last weekend? Yeah, four of them. You know where they went? No. Hey, I reckon Bill Stryker can tell you, though. Who's he? There's a fellow with the other burrows. Ah, there he is, just topping that rise about a quarter of a mile ahead. He one of the ones who left camp? Yeah, they all went off together. Let's catch up to him. Okay, come on, boy. Get a bird. Get up, Charcoal. We rode after the man named Bill Stryker. On the way, I saw the surveyor's marks I'd been following for miles. Cloth markers nailed to trees. Yellow chalk marks on rocks. Within a few minutes, we caught up to him. Well, yeah, Ranger. We was away for the weekend, like Tracy told you. Me and three other fellas. Where'd you go? Central City. Only place worth going we could get to in time. What did you do up there? Just fool around. All of us together. Well, you were only there for Saturday night. You must have done something special, something you remember. I thought one of the boys mentioned a dance, Stryker. Well, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Squad dancer, Alamo Ballroom. You spend the whole evening there? Yeah. Like I said, we were all together. All evening. Four stags at a dance drift around. Hard to keep an eye on each other all evening. Yeah, I reckon we could lose sight of each other for a minute or two. You fellas take time out to do any shopping? Well, what could we buy that we could bring back here? I thought maybe one of you might be saving some money, maybe enough to make a deal on a used car. Uh, we, we rode a bus both ways after our horses got us from here to Lannis Junction. Oh, that's too bad. If you'd been shopping around a used car lot, you might have been able to help me. You might have gotten a look at a man who killed a dealer named Cashman in Central City on Saturday night. Killed? Hey, Ranger, you got a reason for being here. Hey, you think one of my crew killed that man? I'll know better when we see the other three who went to town with Stryker here. Let's get on to the camp. It didn't help. They all told the same story. There were gaps, times during the evening when they drifted away from each other, but they couldn't pin it down to any specific time on the clock. I didn't have anything to take them in on singly or together. They knew it, and I knew it. I camped with them overnight and headed back to Central City Police Headquarters. Oh, hi, Casey. How'd you make out? No good, Chief. Uh, we haven't turned up anything new either. Just a chance armed robbery, Chase. That's what it must have been. My feeling's still bucket that, Simmons. Mose told us that Cashman was upset about a phone call. Stayed at the lot long after he should have gone home. There must have been a reason. Like what? Like somebody who wanted to see him, telling him to wait there. Yeah. Mose said the call made Cashman mad. Why'd they wait for somebody he was mad at? Maybe because they had some kind of a club they could use to make him wait, whether he liked it or not. You're still digging for something deeper than an armed robbery motive, then. That's right. Well... Nobody's given us anything to back up any other motive. I know, but a man doesn't make a telephone appointment to be robbed and murdered. He makes it for something else. I'm going out to see Mrs. Cashman again. When you called your husband last Saturday night, it was almost ten, you said. What makes you think he was upset? When you're married to a man for 15 years, you just know that's all. But he said there was nothing wrong. Anything like that ever happened before? His not coming home, I mean, acting upset? Yes, it did. Twice before. Once was almost two months ago, then a couple of weeks ago. Those other times. You remember what day they happened on? I mean, can you remember if it was always on a Saturday? Yes. Always, all three times. But I don't know why. I don't know what was bothering him. How did he react? He was nervous, irritable. It surprised me the first time. Harry had never been that way with anybody. He snapped at me, the hired girl. Apologized later, but the only one he didn't snap at was the baby. He just seemed to want to hold her in his lap. Just sit there and rock back and forth, holding her. And then during the night, he kept getting up, going to a crib to look at her. I see. Ma'am, did your husband ever say he was worried about somebody trying to take little Anne away from you? Why, no. Who could take her from us? Both her parents were dead. Her mother agreed to the adoption before she passed on. You ever know the baby's father? Ever see him? No, he died before Anne was born. Killed in an accident. You're sure of that? Well, that's what Anne's mother told her. She couldn't have lied. Have you got a copy of the baby's birth certificate? Yes, right in this drawer. With a copy of the adoption papers we got from the court. Here's the court order. And the papers signed by Anne's mother, Dorothy Stryker. Stryker? 
Was the father's name Bill or William Stryker? Why, no. Here it is on the birth certificate. His name was Arthur Stryker. Came from Fort Worth. Ranger, what is it? I think I know who killed your husband now. And I'm beginning to figure why. You'll hear from me, ma'am. headed for the Big Bend, making a radio check with KTXA, asking the station to contact the Fort Worth police on possible relationship between Arthur and William Stryker. The answer fit. They'd been brothers. But William Stryker had a criminal record. It was late afternoon when I mounted charcoal for the ride into the surveying camp. I reached it at about 3 a.m., dismounted, and slipped into the office tent. Tracy. What the... Shh, quiet. It's me, Pearson. Oh, you scared me. Shh. Why'd you come back? Not all your boys were square dancing at Central City. Where's Stryker sleeping? Oh, Stryker, huh? That's right. I'm back. Near where the horses are hobbled. We better be careful, Ranger. He's got a gun. Good. A test can give me the final proof I need if it's the same gun that killed Cashman. I'll come with you. If he wakes up before I get to him, you hit the ground and stay there, no matter what happens. Don't worry. I'm a surveyor, not a hero. There, under that tree. Branches in the moon got it all in shadow, though. He's not here. Somebody's trying to get away with one of the horses. Come on! He must have seen you out in the moonlight crossing to the tent. Get away from that horse, Striker! You're in the light now. I can see you, too. There's something you won't say! Oh! Ranger, you're hit! Drop! Got him! Be careful. Might be a trick. Are you other men? Stay down! Don't move! Oh, it's no trick, Ranger. Oh, he's hit more than once and bad. Uh, I don't want to die. Don't let me die. Better get whatever first aid stuff you have. It. Try and patch him up. You're going to need some work, too. I'll be all right. You men can get up now. Need a couple of you to make a letter. I need it to take him in. I... Easy, Ranger. I got you. Oh, men will have to make two letters. You need one yourself. William Stryker lived long enough to confess his masquerade as the father of his dead brother's child and the murder of Harry Cashman. He was pronounced dead shortly after arrival at the nearest emergency hospital. Jace Pearson had three bullets removed from his body. They matched the bullet taken from the body of Harry Cashman. Six weeks later, Jace Pearson reported back to his company, ready again for duty with the Texas Rangers. here again is the star of our show, Joel McRae. There's a story about one of the first Texas Ranger captains whose outward appearances seemed to be little more than a boy. One of the Rangers in his command, a big, raw-boned, muscular fellow noted for his complete lack of fear, was asked by a townsman, how come a big fellow like you takes orders from him? Why, he ain't even got enough of a beard to need shaving. The Ranger looked at the townsman. Maybe he hasn't got much of a beard, the Ranger admitted. But when we go out after a gang of bandits with him outnumbering us three or four to one, I never yet heard the captain say, go get him, boys. He always says, come on, men, follow me. Good night, folks. See you again next week. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen starring in the Universal International Technicolor production, Frenchie. Tonight's cast included Tony Barrett, Joe Kearns, Tom McKee, Roy Glenn, and Barbara Luddy. This story was transcribed and adapted by Joel Murcott, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keats. Hal Gibney speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Coming up next on NBC, it's genial accordion-playing master of ceremonies, Phil Baker, back at his old Sunday night stand asking America's favorite question. What's that? Why, the $64 question, of course. 
The chimes are your invitation every Sunday to all the fun and prizes and excitement of everybody's favorite quiz game, the $64 question. Tomorrow, hear the Railroad Hour. Right now, it's the $64 question on NBC. Thanks for joining us for Tales of the Texas Rangers with Joel McRae. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories from the Old West. Reviews are always appreciated. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll be back soon.